It's lonely at the top. You've heard that phrase before, right? It's used to describe the way people at the top of their field feel isolated. The strange thing is it is often thrown out as an inspiration quote, like, it's lonely at the top, but you can't beat the view. Or as an eye roll inevitability, like, yeah, you've left everyone else in the dust. What did you expect? And sometimes it's even used to paint leaders as villains, as if they have burned bridges during their climb and they have exchanged human connection for power and money. Mm. Your job is to rewire your brain with the power of your own mind. That's what neuroplasticity is all about. That's what the human experience is all about. To uncover and rediscover what we are. Human beings, feeling and thinking beings. And by doing so, creating our experience from a moment-to-moment basis. Expand your consciousness into a world where mindfulness meets neuroscience. My name is Fernanda Lind, and I am your host. Welcome back, friends, to the Wired to Win show. I am Fernanda, and today I'm on a mission to show you that loneliness is not inevitable. And as leaders, we're often treated as if we signed away our right to complain with every promotion, pay raise, or award. But This is a safe space, and on the show today, I want to talk about the very real and valid experience of isolation and disconnect that can occur when you enter the C-suite or other high-level leadership positions. I want to ensure you feel seen and that you understand the reasons behind this isolation, and I also want to teach you how to fix it. So let's dive in, shall we? I recently read an article in the Financial Times, which is my favorite news resource, by the way. If you're not a subscriber, I highly recommend the Financial Times. Anyway, the article talked about the fact that leading a company can be a lonely place. And to combat the isolation, many leaders are now hiring an executive coach to help them feel less alone, trying to navigate all the challenges they face. And having someone help them work through complex, confidential issues that can be really difficult to discuss with people connected to the business. But in the article, they quote a CEO that says that being challenged and guided on a monthly basis by someone independent ensured that I was well prepared to answer complex questions. So this helped them resolve problems at a faster pace. And if you're a high-level executive or founder like myself, you are not alone in feeling alone. But again, it does not have to be lonely at the top. So let's unpack this. A recent survey from RHR International found that half of CEOs experience feelings of loneliness in their careers. And a 2019 study published in the Journal of Leadership and Organization Studies found that senior managers were more likely to experience loneliness inside and outside of work. I hate to tell you this, but it's even grimmer for females. A report from Society for Human Resources Management stated that female managers were less likely to feel included in key networks at their organizations. And for women of color, the impact is even more significant. Only 57% feel welcomed at the workplace despite holding key leadership roles. And this feeling of isolation doesn't just apply to shop talk. Nearly one third of female leaders say they feel they can't talk about their personal life at work. 
And comparatively, almost 80% of male leaders report discussing their personal lives with co-workers with ease. So the impact of this kind of social isolation in the workplace has only been compounded by COVID with the pandemic, with women in leadership taking on additional caregiving responsibilities in their personal lives. And in a nutshell, work has gotten more challenging. The home has gotten more complex, and most female leaders don't have a safe space for navigating those challenges with their peers in either setting. So I hope you can see now that you are not in the minority if you feel lonely and isolated. The truth is anyone who has been in a leadership position has experienced this phenomenon. But you may still be wondering why, right? There are many reasons. And more today than ever, the first and most apparent is that we have very few, if any, peers at our workplace. There is no group of like-level individuals for us to take long lunches with or complain about the boss or, you know, over a happy hour drink. There is no one to commiserate with in the break room over a challenging project. Like, we can't make speculations about changes or give advice that isn't taken as a direction. So we hold unique, teamless roles that allow us no equals. And a secondary effect of having no peers is that we must retain and protect information at such a more significant rate than other employees. Knowing the nuclear codes, right, sounds appealing at first, but in reality, it's exhausting. As top-level leaders, we hold the financial information that can shatter or build careers. We know about changes coming months and years before their implementation. We know every employee's discretion, every horrible client, every incompetent manager. And yet our lips must remain sealed. And the mental load is absolutely taxing and isolating and can leave you bitter, resentful, frustrated, exhausted. And we're also tied to the organization in a way others are not. When you are a mid-level manager and truly awful productivity initiative is rolled out, which we all (laughs) have been part of, you can shrug your shoulders, yeah? You can kind of enforce it, but with a sigh. Employees know that it did not come from you, like you're off the hook. But at the top, every bad idea is one people will assume that you had a part in, you're responsible for it. And at the least, they believe you were either too uncaring or dense to put a stop to it. And when things get really, really bad, other employees can walk away, they can find new jobs, easily explain their departure in interviews. But in the C-suite, it's not as easy. Like as a high-level executive, it's absolutely not as easy. And jobs, and especially for females, are harder to come by. And instead of appearing as a noble freethinker who couldn't handle DBS anymore, it looks more like you are abandoning ship. So when we hit middle age, work becomes the most commonplace people form new friendships. Our friends from school have whittled away to a few we keep in touch with. Work has become the place we spend most of our time in. And those top Those in top-level leadership struggle deeply to find space for other activities to bring friendships. So with no peers at work, leaders have no way to forge new friendships. As a result, we are further isolated in in our personal lives. And in here, I know a lot of you relate. We have these conversations with our clients a lot. And with the friends we do make, we are more likely to hold back on talking much about our professional lives, given the sensitive nature of our jobs and the fear that they will not be able to relate. And this I know a lot of you relate to. 
modern leadership has gone social. And I don't mean we've created a like a rotating dinner party schedule. I mean, our faces are also all over social media. Like the higher up, especially if you're a C-suite executive, you are public face. You're not just names printed on a company letterhead, yeah, or found by searching endlessly through a company's webpage. Leaders today are expected to be forward-facing, to be recognizable, approachable. You're expected to be a thought leader, being seen on LinkedIn, maybe even writing interesting articles. You are expected to be a public role model, writing books. I mean, hello again, Sheryl Sandberg, Mariana Huffington. While it may seem like this is an excellent opportunity to open up and connect, the opposite is true. The all-eyes-on-me era of leadership has led executives to hold their cards even tighter to their chests. Hmm. And any comment can be made into a full-piece news article. An opinion expressed online can end your career. And revealing even tiny details about your personal life can open your friends, family to harassment, criticism, and as a result, we disconnect further. And for those of you who have been reading the news about the Finnish prime minister and her partying yeah, and the backlash and harassment and criticism she received after that. And I mean, that's a whole other conversation, by the way. I'm not going to go into that. But then we can really see that the all eyes on me era of leadership and how it leads to leaders and I think also especially women holding their cards tighter to their chests. And again, so here's my point. We have plenty of good reasons for feeling alone. But many of us have bought into the price you pay paradigm and accepted that it's just the exchange we must make for success. And we can't get stuck in that mindset because our loneliness matters. It matters to our health, our happiness, relationship, our careers. Let me say that again. Your loneliness matters. Loneliness quite literally alters the way our brain operates. According to a 2009 study from the University of Chicago, lonely people have much less activity in the ventral striatum when viewing pictures of people enjoying themselves. The ventral striatum, a brain region critical to learning, which is also associated with rewards, provides insight into what we associate with comfort. And this study indicates that lonely folks are more likely to lean into non-social rewards, like food, like money, probably alcohol. In contrast, another region associated with taking another person's perspective is less activated among lonely people than in non-lonely people when viewing pictures of people in unpleasant circumstances, indicating that lonely people are more likely to struggle with empathy and connection. Again, your loneliness matters. And one more thing. A meta-analysis from Brigham Young University found that lack of social connection heightens health risks as much as smoking 15 cigarettes a day or having alcohol problems, which is a very serious issue for a lot of women, by the way. And a 2019 study published in the American Journal of Epidemiology revealed social isolation increased the risk of early death among white participants by 60 to 84% 
and doubled the risk among Black participants. Another research points to an increased likelihood of coronary heart disease, dementia, and impaired immunity. Again, your loneliness matters. And there are documented impact on our mental health too. Uh, psychologist Louise Hoakley of the University of Chicago has published research showing loneliness places people at increased risk of depression, poor sleep, impaired executive function, accelerated cognitive decline, anxiety, and stress. So isolation and loneliness also impact our ability as leaders, putting the very careers we have sacrificed our connection to achieve. Loneliness is often perceived by others as aloofness or being standoffish, making it difficult for employees to approach us. So as a result, we work in an echo chamber with others telling us what they think will make us happy, but not what we need to hear. And this leads to a cycle of paranoia as we attempt to sort through the false agreements and distracts us from more important matters. And to anchor this in, your loneliness matters. Isolation and a desire to connect can also make us susceptible to hero complexes with leaders going well outside their scope to impress, to please, draw attention in, and attempt to form connection. It's only real success, however, is leading straight to burnout. Plus, research shows female leaders are more likely to miss out on bonds that lead to increased opportunities due to isolation, stunting our careers and growth. But above all, loneliness is just not sustainable. We cannot maintain our careers, our happiness, our health. Plus, it doesn't lend itself to the sustainable culture that we are building or trying to build. We know that a sustainable organization thrives on connection, transparency, collaboration. Yeah. So we have to kick this loneliness to the curb. But the million dollar question is then, okay, how do we fix loneliness? So I want to come back to the beginning of this conversation and to the article in the Financial Times. So finding a mentor is one of the fastest, easiest ways to combat loneliness at the top. Whether you hire an executive coach or reach out to someone in the same role as you that you admire, finding someone who has been through the loneliness and come out the other way, the other side, is invaluable. They're not a workplace buddy, and I can't stress that enough. You don't want a workplace buddy. But they can absolutely be a sounding board. That's where a great coach can come in and offer you a different perspective and shift you into a higher level of thinking, seeing things differently. A great executive coach can also help you find more ways to connect, giving you the tools that you need to breach spaces that feel maybe unwelcoming and serve as a guide on your way to becoming a sustainable leader. And in addition to finding a mentor, I suggest joining a mastermind or networking group. This is one of the most important things, finding peers that you connect with, even in other industry or even in different locations, like across the globe, that can provide you with the social support you need to improve your mental health. I mean, and again, groups of fellows, executives, C-suiteers, leaders are not, aren't going to people, please. Yeah, or they're not going to recall from you. They will tell you how it is. And especially if you're in a group with a powerful coach who's not going to hold back and, and really help you see your blind spots and tell it like it is. 
yeah, that will give you a sense of belonging, like finally finding a place where, where you have other people relating to your issues, but also supporting you and also not bullshitting you. And again, we have solutions for you right within the Rewired Global um, network and the, and the work that we do and the programs that we offer and the masterminds that we have. So you can just follow the link in the show notes to connect if that's something that you are looking for. But another key to combating loneliness is implementing the burnout prevention methods we discussed on this show, like doing things like ensuring a healthy work-life balance, uh, ensuring you're taking time off, disconnecting completely. I mean, again, all those things will allow you as well to create space for connections in your personal life. And, and, and again, helping you offset that loneliness that you may feel in the workplace. If you have listened to the show before, you know that I love teaching you how to use nothing but your mind to change your life. And we can absolutely rewire our brains to stop loneliness. I have two ways for you to do this, and you can try them one at a time or use both to see really impressive results. First, we have to tap in into our creativity. This can feel a little bit counterintuitive at first because it feels like we're drawing further into ourselves, but I promise it works. Number one, I want to say play. Play is scientifically proven to reduce stress and increase connection. And we kind of know that intuitively. But a paper published in the Journal of Psychology, Science and Technology found that Nobel Prize winning scientists are nearly, listen to this, three times more likely than non-winners to have an artistic hobby. So inviting play and creativity into your personal life makes more room for it in your professional life. And this, I can't stress that enough. I feel this is very true for me and my life. Leaders who view themselves as creative or innovative are also less likely to report workplace loneliness. I cannot stress this enough. I mean, me having a creative background, having you know worked as a professional dancer, I have, I loved writing. I mean, my clients know this. I create a lot, a lot, a lot of curated content and trainings for my clients. Uh, Finding something creative creates a lot of connection. And again, uh, moving you away from a place where you feel lonely and disconnected. And you can begin incorporating creativity and play in your daily life through really straightforward measures. First, stop filling extra minutes with more work. I mean, stop overworking really, really important. Don't check your email when you find yourself like bored or having five minutes between calls. Instead, start creating. Stop being a consumer and start creating. Do things that put your creative mind to work and then just begin exploring types of play or creativity that you enjoy. I mean, we talked about uh, authentic self-care in other episodes. So make sure you go back and listen to earlier episodes for more information. But in a nutshell, it's essential to incorporate time for creativity, for play that bring you joy. It can also be like joining a sports team, join a dance class, learn how to knit, write a short story, even if it sucks, like just start creating just a few ideas here, yeah, just to <laughs> get your creativity going. But I want you to begin noticing when play and creativity are present around you and join in because I promise you that it's all around you and just need to open your eyes to it. 
I mean, we all know that person at the office, right, who does not miss the chance to tell you a joke or start a meeting with a silly icebreaker. Instead of rolling your eyes and being, like, really, really dry and boring, try joining in, yeah? As children, we learn about the world and who we are through play. That does not stop being effective ever. So don't let that slip away, okay? Bring play and joy and fun and creativity into your life and work. All right, the second way we need to rewire our brain to invite connection is by embracing vulnerability. Traditionally, vulnerability is associated with weakness, I know, shame, but in reality, it takes great courage and confidence to be vulnerable. Let me say that again. It takes great courage and confidence to be vulnerable. So instead of worrying about how showing our fears and failures and feelings to others, you know, how it's going to make us appear and be all overthinking it, think about all the opportunities instead for connection that exposing your vulnerabilities will create. Vulnerability, and it's not about sharing sensitive or personal information. Let's be really clear here. It can be expressed in much more significant ways, admitting, for example, that you need an outside perspective on a project. As simple as that. Like, hey, I don't have it all figured out. It would love, you know, an outside perspective on this. Or, for example, approaching a group of employees and telling them that you feel disconnected from their work and asking, hey, can I join you for lunch and, like, hear your ideas? Can I sit down and see what you're working on? Even confiding in others that you are having a bad day. Like, my day sucks. Today's been a bad day. When they greet you, right? Instead of just lying and every time going into like everything is perfect. So opening up to others around you, being more, more real and honest and essentially being vulnerable means that you're showing that you are a complete human being, not a robot. And I think this is really important to create connection. And as we build sustainable organizations and position ourselves as sustainable leaders, there are practices we can put into place to make the workplace a more connected and less isolating place for everyone. Again, championing transparency, that's a great place to start. Do away with a, we don't talk about money nonsense, for example, like being open about pay skills, benefits, responsibilities that creates a culture where people value and recognize their own worth and the worth of others. As sustainable leaders, we believe that the needs of the people making $15, for example, an hour are just as valid as the needs of those making multiple six figures a year or more. Again, presenting opportunities for every employee to benefit from the organization's success is another tool for creating connections. Providing equity, investing profit into the needs of workers, and inviting all tiers of the organization to give input and shape outcomes. Those are just a few ways, again, to facilitate this anti-isolation culture. So, to wrap up today's episode, loneliness, it can feel insurmountable. Yep, it aims to isolate you so profoundly that you think there is no way out. But there always is. And I hope you've seen that you are not alone. There are skills and strategies that we can use to connect no matter our job title. And remember, you can always connect with us over at Rewired Global, or you can follow the links in the show notes to learn how you can work with us. And if you want to be part of a global community of women leaders, you can also apply to join our flagship program. Again, we're going to add that to the links in the show notes as well. All right, 
beautiful people. Make sure to leave a review if you are enjoying the podcast. And again, I hope you're having a wonderful day or evening wherever you are in the world. And I'm going to see you back next week here on the Wired to Win podcast. Bye, everyone.